I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. In this third season, I've taken the theme from season one, which was called The Holistic Healing Connection, and merged it with a theme from season two of The Dragonfly Connection. So now, join me every Wednesday for open, honest, inspiring, and healing conversations with people who face their own health and life challenges, worked through them, and now are on a mission to help you live a healthier, more fulfilling life. My hope is that at each episode leaves you more empowered and inspired, no matter where you are on your life and healing journey. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find a holistic wellness professional and resources to help you on your healing journey. That's HealingWaze.com. One in eight U.S. women will develop invasive breast cancer over the course of her lifetime. Now, I'm not sharing these stats to scare you, and this in no way means you or someone you know will get breast cancer, but it's something we should all be aware of. Cancer in all forms is on the rise, and although conventional medical experts will tell you that there's little we can do to avoid getting cancer, and if you do get cancer, the only way to treat it is with harsh chemicals or surgery. Well, my guest today, Rebecca Durance Hine, and I know better. There are a ton of ways to boost your immune system to fight cancer naturally, and a ton of gentler treatments with less side effects. Now, I know this from research I did while helping my mom and stepmom on their cancer journeys, but Rebecca knows this from personal experience. When she was just 28, she was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of breast cancer, and today you get to hear about her journey and how cancer changed her life in very unexpected ways. Rebecca was a teacher, writer, actor, and model who had all but given up on her dreams before that diagnosis. Cancer made her realize that we don't necessarily have as much time as we think and that we need to do the things we want to do now while we're still able to. This perspective came about as she took charge of her own healing and embraced her life even more than before. Rebecca's learned a ton about healing cancer and preventing it from coming back and loves to share that knowledge with others. She's now an integrative cancer care advocate running a blog and online community that supports cancer patients. She's also in the process of writing her first book. Even if you've never been personally touched by cancer, I think you're going to benefit from listening to Rebecca's story and her wisdom. It's full of hope, courage, and some great health advice. Something we all need now more than ever. And speaking of health advice, Rebecca offers a ton of free resources on her website, social media, and YouTube, including an anti-cancer diet guide that's good for everybody listening. I'll post all the links in the show notes. Enjoy. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being here today. We're already doing some giggling, so I think this is going to be a very fun conversation. I have some fun questions for you first before we dive into the meat of the episode, which is all about your cancer journey and how you're helping other people. I know it's going to be great for a lot of people that I know personally that need to hear this. So we're going to start with some fluffy stuff, though, because I like I like us to feel connected. I want to know a little bit more about you. It's the dragonfly connection. So people need to feel connected to you as well as they're listening. So first of all, where are you located? Um, So I'm in Hamilton, Ontario. It's about an hour west of Toronto, like right at the tip of Lake Ontario. Nice. I bet it's beautiful there. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I always uh, feel I grew up living close to Lake Ontario and it never feels like home unless I can get to the water and like 
10 minutes or less. So nice. <laughs> so I frequent our, our waterfront, which is lovely. Yeah, I bet. It's a really big lake. It is very big. Yeah. People are yeah. surprised. I have a friend from California. I'd never been to Canada before and came for a visit and was, yeah, like astonished because you think of a lake as, you know, it's pretty small. You can see across it, but right. yeah, it's, more it feels more like an ocean when you're standing in front of it for sure that's awesome I was just explaining to my 10 year old uh we live on the west coast of the U.S. and we were talking about people in the middle of the country that don't have any oceans or big lakes and she was like how sad is that (laughs) they have other things I hope but yes I agree. I think that's sad. So I'm glad that you get to be by a big body of water. What are you, what are some things you like to do for fun? Um, well, I'm lucky in that my favorite thing to do for fun is also one of my jobs, which is acting. So that's something that I did a degree in and then had the artistic crisis that many young people have where you think, Oh God, I can't do this. I need a real job, whatever, you know, quote unquote job is right. Um, And stopped for a long time. And then after I was diagnosed, that is really what got me back into it. Cause I always said later, 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 I'll Mm -hmm. have time later. And we don't necessarily always do have that time. So Yeah. uh, yeah. So acting is it's, uh, yeah, I'm very lucky. And it's something that I love to do. And I can also sometimes make some money from it. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so that's really uh, acting and writing are my two favorite things to do for fun. And then, you know, when it's nice out in the summertime, I love all things outdoors. I love hiking and camping and yeah, we have some nice. beautiful places for it here. So is it mountainous where you're at? It's kind of funny because in Hamilton, we call uh, there's an escarpment. So the Niagara escarpment that go, runs all the way from Niagara, okay. you know, up North. And so we call it the mountain kind of facetiously, but it's really not, not that mountainous, but we do end up having um, a ton of waterfalls and well, actually Hamilton, I think is the waterfall capital of North America, if not, maybe even the world, we have just a ton of waterfalls um, because of the escarpment. And so there's some, yeah, some really beautiful hiking in there. So not really mountainous, but we do have some terrain for sure. Mm -hmm. So some places to hike and it sounds really beautiful, beautiful places to hike. So speaking of acting, because I said, I've, you know, researched you a little bit. I like to do that Mm -hmm. before I talk to people. I've seen that you're in a couple movies come out recently. What are the names of those? So the, the first one was just a short film that I did this fall okay. um, called No Such Thing as Stranger Danger. And then the second one hasn't come out yet. It'll be hopefully coming out later this year. It's a full length and it's called I in Transition. Okay. Um, kind of like a mix between human drama and sci-fi. Um, mm. so, yeah, it's the end of the world and we all know it's the end of the world and we've known for a long time that it's coming. And so it's sort of just a study in all the various human reactions to knowing that your demise is inevitable and mm. um, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of good timing for that movie. I think that's yeah. what all the movies seem to be about, right? I know, right? <laughs> It's on our minds, clearly. Definitely is on our minds, for sure. And then I see you've, it looks like you were in a series, maybe, or... Yeah, I've done a couple of episodes in um, various series, some dramatic reenactment Mm -hmm. series, you know, murder mysteries and paranormal experiences and stuff like that, which 
I, I actually love all, all a lot of the podcasts I listen to aside from personal development and things like that are uh, murder mysteries, true crime, paranormal. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, so that was really fun to be in a couple of those episodes. Um, yeah, and then I have um, uh, an episode filming soon for a vampire, a vampire. It's sort of like a mix between Game of Thrones and vampires. Mm, how that's exciting. Yeah, okay. that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what I was going to ask you. What's the funnest role you've played so far? Oh, gosh. In Now, it, it may differ between like theater and film because I do mm-hmm. a lot of theater as well. Obviously not in the past two years, unfortunately, but yeah. theaters are like started it's where what my degree is in so I think the the most fun that I've had I, I, my first full play back after you know my seven years off was God of Carnage which won the Tony for best play in oh, maybe 2009 or like early 2000s okay. um, but it was it's basically a, two sets of parents get together to start talking about uh, an incident that happened between their kids and it just ends up devolving into just madness like they just turn into big children themselves and they're screaming and name calling and it was really fun to be <laughs> to be able to do that because you say all sorts of things you would never say so yeah what was your role then what did you uh, so did I you was play? one of the the moms oh okay um, Annette, and I got to deliver some some drunk angry monologues which were <laughs> pretty fun pretty fun to do because I'm you know I don't like conflict on a in my own life I am getting better at broaching it when it needs to be but for a lot of my life I avoided conflict as much as possible so it was fun to just really embrace it that's really the most fun the roles that are the most fun are the ones that are so different from you you just get to like play in somebody else's life and someone else's yeah. personality which is really fun because the other my, my my favorite film one uh one of my favorite ones was uh playing a, a creepy evil villain which I am not in my day-to-day life either but it was really fun and like powerful I felt very powerful everyone was afraid of me I wasn't afraid of anybody so I love it (laughs) yeah that does sound really fun I can imagine that would be fun to be able to just like totally step out of yourself and be unapologetically totally different than what you normally are absolutely Um, and that's what's been so therapeutic I think for at with me and acting as well yeah. as it does it's like a complete escape into yeah something totally different from your own and, life yeah and fun and you're having and fun, fun along the way and it's not real no so, exactly there's no real consequences <laughs> no really. exactly Very <laughs> yes okay so this is a fun question I love to ask and it's usually pretty hard for people to come <laughs> up with an answer um, especially those of us that are the open book types yeah. <laughs> what's something that you think many people don't know about you Ooh, I think often people are surprised to find out that I'm an introvert. And I myself was also very surprised to find out that I was an introvert. It took me until I was about 25, 26 to realize it. Because of acting, I always say I honestly don't know where I would be without acting because it really pulled me out of my shell. I got really shy, sort of like middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was not as a kid, as a kid, I was like, full of energy, just spitfire said whatever I wanted to say and didn't really care what other people thought about me. But yeah, (laughs) you hit that you hit puberty and you really 
start caring a lot more uh, yeah. about what people think. So I, without acting, acting really pulled me out of my shell and um, taught me how to communicate. Yeah. To just sort of be, be more of myself and, and bring more of my own energy forward. So I always thought that being introverted meant that you didn't like people and that you wanted to be on your yeah. own all the time. So it wasn't until I started therapy in my twenties that I realized, oh no, it just means that like, I like being around people, but I expend a lot of energy to do so. And I need mm-hmm. to, you know, recharge on my own and I can only do so much, you know, like I can't go out three nights a week. Once yes. Good. I know that it's getting more widely known that it doesn't mean that we don't like people, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I just think it needs to be said again. And that's why we're saying it right now. Yes. Like I'm like, I love people. I'm a people person. Yes. I love to talk with people, mm-hmm. obviously. So I'm doing this, but I'm like you, as I've gotten older, like I really have to put those time and socializing yeah. boundaries down hard mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. it wears me out. Yeah. Like that's, I think that's the main thing yet. People still go, but that just must mean you're not like, you don't like being around yeah. people. And it's like, no, I do. I no, do. it wears me out, but I love it. But I, I love, love it. Yeah. Feel like Good thing. Happy, exhausted, but happy. Exactly. Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for saying that again, for all you extroverts out there that we like you, we, promise. <laughs> we love you. And for all you introverts that feel like it's a negative thing, it's not. It just means we got to protect our energy a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. And as a recovering people pleaser, as I like to call myself, Mm -hmm. I also had to get a lot better in my adult life at really setting down those boundaries. And honestly, the first step was admitting I was an introvert (laughs) and uh, being okay with that, you know, accepting that and being like, okay, this now changes how I set my boundaries and how hard and where and yeah. Yeah. So. There needs to be like introvert support groups. <laughs> we, can, we can all come out and say, yeah. my name is Amber and I'm yeah. an introvert. All right. Well, we could go on about that forever, yeah. but I want to talk more about your healing journey. So when I asked to describe yourself, you yeah. said you're a teacher, writer, mm-hmm. actor, and model who had all but given up on her dream before cancer. And it sounds like you kind of mentioned that before. So before we get deeper into the cancer journey. Tell me more about that. Like, why did that happen? What was your life like before your cancer diagnosis? So I feel like when, so when I was 11, I lost my dad. He had cancer as well. He had Mm. pancreatic cancer. And when I look at my life, it's, you know, as many people, it gets sort of split into these chapters that are bookended by these, you know, major events. And so that was a real turning point in that up until that point, as I mentioned before, I was pretty carefree. I was very, you know, energetic and happy-go-lucky. And I had a really wonderful childhood up until that point. I mean, I had a, continued to have a really wonderful childhood after that, but, but you had a big obstacle. And at that point, even though I was so young, I have now realized in, again, in adult life that I took on the responsibility of trying to ensure that the rest of my family was okay. Mm. And that, yeah, really turned me into a, among other things, a people pleaser. And Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to make things any more difficult for anybody. And also losing a parent that young, it's very tumultuous. When I got, as I got older, I just craved that stability. I craved the normal life where things were secure and I didn't have to worry about anything Mm -hmm. because I'd had to worry about so much in my young life. 
And so when I graduated university, I think that really played a factor. I also, like many people, struggled with self-esteem issues and, and things like that as well. And unfortunately had some relationships in my past where inadvertently on the part of my partner, they sort of reinforced those those self-esteem issues. And it wasn't something mm-hmm. I could even put voice to because it wasn't anything I was even consciously aware of on any really clear level yeah so I think it was a combination of yeah craving stability not wanting to rock the boat for anybody wanting to my mom to not worry about me Mm -hmm. Um, acting is a very unstable career Um, many people have you know a secondary more stable job to you know help support the weight so um yeah I didn't want her to worry and yeah and then I just part of me really believed that I couldn't do it and that Mm -hmm. it wasn't going to happen for me and we have a very narrow view of success when we're young and I just couldn't see in my mind being an actor was like being super famous on the red carpet in Hollywood, everyone knows your name. That's what, you know, acting was to me, act success. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I sort of got into a relationship where I was happy enough and it was very stable. I knew that I would never have to worry about anything financial or otherwise. And I just kind of stayed there for way longer than I should have. Mm -hmm. And I eventually realized that, you know, what I was doing, that I was having to really sacrifice major parts of myself in order to make that relationship work. And luckily had the courage to step out of that, even though it was way more comfortable to stay in it. (laughs) So that was sort of the start of me breaking out of that. That was 2014 and I was diagnosed in 2017. So that three years was very stressful, but also because I was starting my teaching career as well. But also I I was really starting that journey of sort of self-discovery and growth and really getting to know myself for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. Instead of, I was constantly trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be because that would make them happy. And I just wanted everyone to be happy. So I really, yeah, at 25 was getting to know myself for the first time ever, truly. And then I was diagnosed with cancer at 28. And that really just pushed things to like a whole other level. It was, you know, things were happening slowly. I had thought like, oh, maybe I'll get into just, you know, community theater or something that I wasn't even thinking about professional acting at that point Mm -hmm. at all. Like it was so far out of my head as a possibility. I, I, I was just like, oh, it'll just be a fun hobby, which is fine too. But I just removed myself so far from that as a possibility. And then after I was diagnosed and my hair was starting to grow back, I had a friend who was a photographer and and I asked if she would do a photo shoot with me before my hair grew back so Mm -hmm. I sort of wanted to commemorate that time and I shared some of the the photos online and one of my sister's friends said why don't you do that for money like you you're you're great at it the photos are awesome like you should model professionally and I was like excuse me 
at 29 this is not something that modeling is not something that you get into at 29 very (laughs) mature for that field but the more I thought about it you know the more I was like ah you know why not when I went looking for an agent I wasn't even looking for an acting aid like that is how far out of my mind acting Uh was and then I found this um very small sort of like relaxed low-key modeling agency who really you know they sign everybody they they do a lot of commercial work. So they need everybody, all shapes Mm -hmm. and sizes, ages, everything. So uh, there was no pressure to stay a certain size or look a certain way or anything like that. And then they said, oh, you know, we do commercial acting as well. Do you want to be added to that roster? And I thought, okay, yeah, I guess so. That will be fun. And so that is kind of what got me back into it wasn't even thinking that I could do it. It was, it was like genuinely as a direct result, not just in terms of it changing my mindset in terms of, you know, how much life I have and what I want to do with that life, but just very logistically, it was this photo shoot because I lost my hair that got me looking for a model. Isn't that amazing? And that's kind of your whole story. Yeah. All these things happened to you have just catapulted your life in different directions that you could never imagine. And that's why I love hearing these stories, the stories like yours, because in the midst of it, you can't see that coolness. Oh my God. No, <laughs> so, you really can't. You can't. But, but this, the purpose of this podcast is to help other people realize that on the other side of whatever they're cha- is challenging them, there usually is light of some kind. And, Absolutely. you know, let's go back to before we jump too far ahead into mm-hmm. like the after the rainbow yeah. after the storm, yeah. what kind type of cancer you said 28 breast cancer, yeah, uh, triple positive is what triple you had positive. said. What does that mean? Yeah. So yeah, for those who aren't sort of familiar with um, the various types, triple positive refers to the hormone receptor status. So estrogen and progesterone, and then a third uh, receptor called HER2, which essentially allows the cancer cells to take in proteins faster. So they grow faster. So they tend to be more aggressive. So Mm -hmm. you may, it's very scary. (laughs) Yeah. Hormone receptor positive is the one that they always say, like, if you have to get one, it's the best one to get, Mm. (laughs) which None of them are. are no, (laughs) it has the most treatment options. And then a a relatively new drug, new in terms of the medical field was introduced a couple of decades ago called Herceptin. And that was really a game changer for her two positive people. It blocks that, it blocks that protein receptor. Mm, Okay. So triple positive means you have all three uh, the cancer cells on your tumor had all three of those receptors. Triple negative means it had none of them. And then you yeah. can have a combination of one or two of, of them as well. So yeah, so mine was triple positive and grade three. There are three grades. Mm-hmm. One means when you compare it to a healthy cell, it's not that different. Three is it's very different. So mm-hmm. I was triple positive and then also grade three. Typical for younger people, cancers tend to be more aggressive in the young. Probably one of the reasons why it actually develops into cancer. It's fueled by the hormones that are still it is running yeah, so rampant in your positive. body. That's right. Yeah. And unfortunately, I um, didn't know at the time, but now as a result of, I took an integrative approach to my healing. So mm-hmm. I did lots of conventional stuff, but also pretty much everything you can think of from the- Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One of the things I did was uh, hormone testing. Um, okay. And there's a very comprehensive one called the Dutch test. And it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I've taken it. Oh, have you? Yes. I love that. Yes. So through that test, I've discovered I was not um, methylating, metabolizing Mm -hmm. my estrogen 
very well. And then I was also on the birth control pill at the time. It had been 10 years, about two months after I was diagnosed. And again, later, I learned that the 10 year mark was significant in studies in terms of cancer risk in the birth control pill. Mm. So it was just, yeah, sort of just interesting to me that it, I had been on it for so long and then my body wasn't processing its natural estrogen well. And then I was yeah. just you know, piling so much else on top of that. And then, yeah, there's a million reasons why cancer develops and it's yes. been interesting discovering what, you know, some of my. Yeah. And you've done a lot of research we'll, yeah. and we'll talk more about that, but do you remember what it was like the day you got the diagnosis? Yeah, I won't. I don't think I will ever forget it. Yeah. It's funny. I still drive by the hospital often and, and I feel it like I know, like, as I I'm getting close to the hospital, I, yeah, it, it I, I feel it still. So I was, it was a little bit of a journey getting my diagnosis. I discovered the lump myself. I didn't do self checks regularly or even properly, but I would just, you know, feel around every couple months. Cause they said, you know, be familiar with what, what you're supposed to do. Like, yeah. yeah. So that if there's a change, you notice. So I really wasn't, you know, looking with the intent of finding something. I was really just trying to familiarize myself with what my breast normally felt like. Yeah. I felt this small, hard lump on the, like way on the outside. I actually didn't even know at first if it was in my breast tissue, cause it was so far to the, the side, the left side, but I could see it. If I pushed my skin down, I could actually like see the lump with my own eyes. So I go to the doctor for everything. Like I am a tend to be more high strung uh, (laughs) type of a person. And so I go to the doctor for everything. And so I was there, you know, the next week and she said, okay, well, you know, let's do an ultrasound first because mammograms can be kind of unpleasant. So let's just do an, an ultrasound first. So we did that and it was somewhat suspicious, but also not. It was mobile, meaning you could move it around. And usually a tumor, it really latches on. You can't move it at Mm, all. So there were some aspects that were suspicious to it, but others that weren't. So they were sort of like, "Eh, maybe do a biopsy. So she said, let's do a mammogram first, just because if we can rule out the biopsy, then that's very unpleasant. So if you don't have to do that, that's ideal. So we did a mammogram. And from that mammogram, I learned that I have dense breast tissue, which about 40% of women have. And Mm -hmm. mammograms do not work well on dense breast tissue. Uh, It looks all the same. It's like finding a snowball in a snowstorm. So you really interesting. Yeah. And the the technician could tell I was really anxious and they actually sent me away and were like, are you sure this is what your doctor wants? Can you go back and confirm? Cause you're way too young. So I had to go back to my doctor. Yes. Okay. Go back. She it was an unusual case, an unusual circumstance. And she could tell I was really nervous. So she showed me the screen in the room, which they never do. Yeah. Um, but she said, look, you know, here's the marker. They put a little marker over the lump and, you know, she's like, there's the marker. I don't see anything. I think you're fine. So I was quite relaxed about it. I felt good leaving. And then when I went back to my doctor for the results, the results were negative. The mammogram was negative, even though I could see the lump with my own eyes. When I pushed my skin down, mammogram was negative. And my doctor, for whatever reason, I was young, negative mammogram, unconfirmed ultrasound, few risk factors. But for whatever reason, she said, let's do the biopsy anyway. So we did. And I remember the guy who did it, he came in, he was eating, I tell people this all the time, he was eating a snack. He was like very (laughs) nonchalant. He was like, I've seen your scans. It's very mobile. I don't think it's going to be anything, but we'll do the biopsy anyway, obviously, just to make sure. So in the week when I was waiting for my results, I was very calm. Didn't really think about it that much because everyone had been so reassured. The only person who had shown 
I, I could like see that look in her eye was my family doctor. She was the mm-hmm. only one who I got that energy off of, of she thinks something's wrong. And so, yeah, I waited and for the results, not worrying that much to the point that uh, it did not occur to me to bring somebody with me to get my results mm-hmm. because everyone was so sure that it was going to be nothing. And I remember pulling into the hospital parking lot and being thinking to myself, should I, should I have brought someone to this appointment? And then, you know, your mind goes into self-preservation and it's like, no, no, you know, it's going to be fine. Everyone thinks it's fine. Like you'll be fine. So yeah, I got, I got into the room and the the doctor who had received the results and who ended up being my surgeon, he uh, looked at me and he he was looking at my file and he said, uh, okay, so we were, I think he said bothering you or poking you last week. And as I said, yeah. And he said, okay, so there is a little bit of cancer in there. (laughs) And my jaw, like literally like a cartoon character, my jaw just like dropped open and everything else goes quiet. And I, in my blog before I've described it as like, trying to scream underwater it like my brain was just like screaming but I couldn't like make any sound I couldn't say anything I couldn't I was just frozen Mm -hmm. just frozen and now I wonder part of me is glad I was on my own now because of my personality as I've discussed I think I would have been way more worried about what other people that whoever yeah. was my my partner how they were mom. thinking yeah, yeah how they were feeling mm-hmm. exactly. so you got to just so, focus on you just focus on me yeah. it was the weirdest I mean everybody who's received a shock like that you know you kind of yeah you go numb you don't it's all a blur you know his nurse navigator came in and um you know she answered the questions that I had and then I went over to his office to make the appointment for the surgery, which was, it moved so fast. Like that was a a Thursday and I had my surgery on not the following Monday, but the one after that. So it was about 10, 10 or 11 days. And it was just like, I couldn't do anything. I was just on autopilot. Like I couldn't do anything yeah. other than just like what they had told me to do. Okay. Go here, yeah. go to this office, do this. And then my drive well, home yeah. was wild. Like knowing that you are the only person in the world who has this information and that you're about to just completely change forever the lives of everyone that you love. Yeah. You're about ready to just drop a big bomb in their lives. Bomb. And my, yeah. my then boyfriend, now fiance, he, you know, had texted me to be like, what's going on? You know, how, how is the appointment? And I'm just sort of like, I'll talk to you when I get home and try not to worry, I guess, because like, it's not something I'm going to say over text. And obviously of course he knew something was wrong because otherwise yeah just said so yeah it was a really wild feeling (laughs) and And, yeah um, and as a people pleaser that is like the opposite thing of what you want to do yeah the first thing I said to my partner after I have cancer was I'm sorry that you love me oh as you're gonna have to it was amazing and and said never say that but I just felt so bad that he was gonna have to go through this with me because he you know just happened to love me (laughs) And it was, he was very willing to do it, of course. Yeah. I was very lucky. Um, yeah. I had a really wonderful, he was only 25. I was 28. So he was real young. A lot of yeah. guys probably would have understandably freaked out, but he was great. 
So, oh, and now you're engaged. Yeah. Yeah. When are you getting married? Well, so far right (laughs) now, tentatively, uh, September, 2023, because we just got engaged this past September. And, uh, so we said, okay, let's give it two years. And then hopefully (laughs) that's, that's setting you guys up for success to do it that way, rather than in July going, well, we actually have to postpone it again. (laughs) I want to, I want to read something that you wrote in your screening application because I just loved it. I was like, everybody needs to hear this. And I don't know if it's a canned response. If it is, you're really good, but it was like, wow, everybody needs to hear this regardless of their, whatever their health challenges or their diagnosis, it may not be cancer. This, but you said cancer brings with it a lot of decisions. Like you mentioned, it just sped up, right? Everything went fast. Mm -hmm. Um, so you said cancer brings with it a lot of decisions. And one day I had an epiphany. I became aware that I was waiting for someone to tell me what to do to make the decisions for me as I had done most of my life. I was waiting for someone to tell me do this and you will be okay. And I realized almost simultaneously that if I did not take charge, I would be waiting forever. This was one of those times in my life where no one could make these decisions for me and even more terrifying, no one could guarantee the outcome. That statement is something I'm sure everybody who's had any big, scary health diagnosis comes to that, hopefully comes to this. And sadly, because in our healthcare systems, whether in the US or Canada, they both are flawed. (laughs) Yeah. In many ways, I'm in different ways, but many ways, ways, we are really alone in this, in this journey. When you have support that helps, but it it does does always come down to you. And sometimes you have to do a lot of your own research, which you did. So what are the decisions you made? I would love for you to talk about all the different medicines you used and alternative conventional. Yeah. All of it for sure. Um, Yeah. So cancer has made me, and as you said before, like you can't see the brightness in the moment, like you can't see through it to the other side. Cancer has brought more gifts than I could ever have imagined possible. And one of them is just an incredible amount of confidence in myself and belief Mm -hmm. in myself. And what was key to that developing was that realization that this is on me. I can ask all the questions that I have. I can do all the research in the world, but ultimately I'm, I'm looking for an answer externally and that's never going to happen ever. Mm -hmm. The answer always is going to have to come from inside. We can, I like to say I informed my gut with all of the information I could find with statistics and facts and information and answers to questions from every health professional and friend and family member I could ask. Um, and then I just really sat with it and listened to what came up. And it's not something I'd ever done before. I'd been quite indecisive before in my life and I didn't have a conscious moment of this is how I'm going to make my decisions. It just sort of happened naturally. So it was everything from, am I going to finish chemo? Am I going to do radiation? Am I going to do, try this treatment or not? Am I going to spend money on this thing or not? Am I, yeah, going to keep this person in my life or do I need to distance? Like it was really, it became the way that I made all my decisions. And it was very difficult because I was it wasn't a clear, 
okay, chemo is going to give you like 50% more chance of it not mm-hmm. coming back. It was small, very small percentages. So a chemo was going to improve my chances by 1.8% radiation by uh, about 2.1%, I think. And wow, then, so small. So small. <laughs> and then tamoxifen, which is a hormone blocker. Mm-hmm. And then Herceptin that I mentioned earlier that blocks the HER2 receptor, that those combined were um, about 5%. And the way they pose the numbers to you is very confusing. You're dealing with so much. And so I, I totally understand how most people, like I said, you're just on autopilot and they just say, yes, like, do this. Just do what I'm just going to do yeah. whatever you tell me to do. And you're uh, still in shock. Still so in shock. It's yeah. hard for most of us to break through that shock. That's right. Because all of this reality. That's right. Yeah. And all of this is happening in just those first couple of months after you're diagnosed, sometimes mm-hmm. in the first few weeks for some of those decisions. So yeah, I ended up just tuning. It, it was very, very hard for me to make those decisions. Do I want to put my body through that stress for 1.8%? And because I'm young your risk of long-term effects later, like secondary cancers after radiation, that goes up the longer you're alive after Mm. you receive radiation. So even my surgeon said, like, I don't know whether they'll offer radiation or not because you're young. So I really, I had to think about my whole life and was I going to be, was it better for me to be a little less worried about a breast cancer recurrence or for me to be more worried about a secondary cancer or other long-term side effects like neuropathy and brain fog and um, infertility and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was really hard to make those decisions because you're really weighing quality of life over length of life, potentially the length of your life. And that's a really hard decision to, to come to. So I ended up just tuning into my gut after informing it and researching and asking all the questions. And when things were a no, it was a very clear, very visceral no. Like Mm -hmm. my whole body would tense up. I would hear no in my head. I would like instinctively start shaking my head. No. And then when things were a yes, it was relaxing. Sometimes I'd almost get like tears of relief come to my eyes and just this feeling of yes, brightness. This feels good. This feels right. It's like, I want to do this. Yeah. And that ended up being how I made all of those very difficult decisions, which might sound nuts to some people but when because like how could you put your life on the line and just trust your gut like that's it's very scary especially for someone who continually looked to other people for the answers on what to do and how to be and so that but it was the only thing I could do because I knew that if I made the decision based on what I thought my doctors wanted me to do or what my family wanted me to do that I would end up regretting it and I realized that if I could get myself to a place where I knew I had made the absolute best decision that I could in that moment with the information that I had that I could never truly regret it or be angry at myself because, you know, I just did the best I could in that moment, regardless mm-hmm. of what the outcome ended up being. So in my doctor, when I, I, so I stopped, I did one round of chemo and then stopped. I had a really, really atrocious reaction to it. I ended up in the hospital the next day and I decided to, to stop. And she wanted to know why I was stopping and and why I wasn't doing radiation because I decided not to do radiation at mm-hmm. that point. 
And she said, I just said, you know, it's going to be unsatisfying to you as a logically, scientifically minded person, but my gut is literally screaming no at me. And I just, I have to listen to it. I can't not listen to it. So yeah. Did your doctor respect that answer? She did. She did. She did, you know, bring in her supervisor and they kind of tag team me and, you know, tried to get (laughs) me to try different drugs or different amounts and Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. But I had, you know, I had already, I really, I'd made my decision. I decided that, you know, 1.8% was not enough for me to put so many other things on the line. And for some people it is, some people say like every percent you can give me, I'm, I'm going to take it, but, and that's totally fine. Yeah. Cause it's not a one size fits all. No. Is there's yeah. not. And I knew that I was doing so much else from the alternative world as well. And in terms of lifestyle changes, I was quite mm-hmm. confident I was going to get a, at least a 1.8% reduction from all of that stuff as well. So yeah, yeah I just what, uh, had to have yeah. confidence in myself. Right. And take charge and, take, charge. and be in yeah. control of your own health. It was key because yeah. it helped my mental and my emotional health. I, I came through my cancer diagnosis and the resulting year and a half extremely well. And at the time when I first started, I had no idea how I had done that. And it was one of the reasons why I wanted to start writing about it. And what I've come to realize is one of the the main factors in me doing so well was me taking charge and being an active patient and, you know, being a member of my own healthcare team and placing as much importance on what I thought as what my doctors did as well. Always valued their opinions. Absolutely. It was not, they were not easy decisions. There were many days where I thought I would, I would do everything. You were going to regret it. You probably, yeah, yeah, right. Are you going to regret down the line if it comes back and all of that? But yeah, ultimately you can't know what's going to happen if it does come back. I'll have no way of knowing what did. There's plenty of people who do full courses of treatment and then it comes back anyway. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I just had to have confidence that I was making the choice that felt right to me. And, um, and then, yeah, that was the only way that I couldn't, that I could foresee not regretting it. Right. It, yeah. Made that. Did decision. you, uh, so you did a lot of, it sounds like research on your own. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the things you ended up doing then in your treatment plan, your own? Oh, treatment yeah. plan. <laughs> so I do I have an integrative oncologist who's an MD and he, um, mm, he nice. has a left sort of mainstream conventional cancer treatment and uh, has his own cancer center in Toronto. I have him. I, and then I have my naturopath who is, uh, who specializes in uh, naturopathic oncology and integrative oncology. Um, and then at one point I had two other naturopaths as well. I was nice. So I really did have, it's not like I was sort of making these, these choices all on my own. Mm-hmm. Some stuff I would, I'd be like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to try that. If I knew, so my, my sort of mantra was if it's not going to hurt me and it's potentially going to help me, I'm going to try it. Why not? Why not? I literally had nothing to lose. Why not? Some stuff was things that I had to had to do with with my naturopath or my integrative doctor at their uh, offices like uh, and some of these are still things that I do to help with reducing risk of recurrence, but things like high dose uh, vitamin C IV, we're talking like 50 to 75 grams of vitamin C and uh, mistletoe, which is the actual plant. It's slightly toxic. So when you inject it, it creates, it stimulates your immune system. 
Mm-hmm. So it, uh, and it helps to create more white blood cells and things like that. So it helps to support your immune system and strengthen it. So we I did have done those as IVs and also as um, injections. Other IVs I've done is uh, artisanate, which is like a blood, a blood purifier. It was, I think originally developed for malaria, but it helps get rid of things like parasites and candida um, in your bloodstream so that your body is not, your immune system is not overburdened and mm-hmm. can focus on bigger things like cancer. Yeah. Cells. It's a huge immune system. Yeah. yeah. I've heard great things about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and then I did hi- things like hyperthermia. I did like all the lifestyle changes in the world at infrared saunas, coffee enemas, nutritive enemas, which some people are probably like, Oh my God, what? But yeah, I, you know, and then better than chemo better just- than chemo. <laughs> <laughs> and huge lifestyle changes, diet overhaul, change the, you know, the products that I put in my body and on my body supplements, so many supplements. Yeah. Just most like anything you can name. I've probably tried it at one point. Nice. (laughs) How confident were you that these measures were going to be helpful? Oh, it fluctuated day to day. Some days I was very confident. Mm -hmm. Um, Other days I was not, I, you know, scared, but I, the more I talked to professionals and the more I read, the more it was confirmed for me that an integrative approach like that, when you're combining conventional things. So I also did a year on Herceptin. I've been on Tamoxifen for three years and then I did, yeah, some chemo Mm -hmm. and surgery. So I did quite a bit from the conventional Mm -hmm. world and yeah, what I have heard and read over and over is that the combined approach of the two worlds is really the most effective. Yeah. And I think has the least long lasting negative. Yeah. You have the best quality of life because there's so many things that we can do from an alternative natural standpoint to make conventional treatments more tolerable and more effective. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really the two, uh, I just want them to play nicely. The two worlds. Yeah. Yes. They don't, but. Oh, that's what we're hoping, right? More people like us, and we're talking about this more. Yeah. Yeah. That is my hope, too, that it's just, it all becomes respected and mainstream because there's a lot of wisdom in nature already, what's available to us so much. I want to talk about your mental health just a little bit during that time, especially. Mm you know, cause I'm all that stuff does help with your hormones, which play yeah. on your mind yeah. and all that, but and sleep and all of that sleep. Yeah. I'm sure you're eating better mm-hmm. exercising, mm-hmm. but what, what did you do specifically that you feel really helped you cope through fighting um, cancer? Yeah. So there were a couple things. One major one was finding my people. So finding a group of people who were going through the same thing as I was, who I could commiserate with and cry with, you know, your family can sympathize with what you're going through, but unless you've actually gone through it yourself, you really, you can't understand like everything about it and how everything feels. And then especially for me as a people pleaser, I was, you know, I didn't want to burden my family with more. So being able to go to my support group and yeah, cry and rant and vent. And that was super important. Just knowing I wasn't alone. And then also finding some Facebook groups as well. There's some really wonderful integrative healing Facebook groups, knowing that if I had questions, I could go there and ask, and there'd probably be, you know, five or 10 people who had experienced the same Mm -hmm. thing or who could give me advice or feedback or whatever. So yeah, that was really important finding, finding my people. And then 
Meditation, I know everyone says it and people roll their eyes at it sometimes. And I had never meditated before cancer. But again, I was in that space of I'm going to try anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, you know, some research for it supporting immune function and, and things like that as well. And cortisol causes your blood sugar to shoot up. It shuts down your immune system. It su- shuts down your digestive system because these are not things that are needed when you're fleeing or fighting mm-hmm. and your blood sugar goes, sugar goes up to give you energy to fight or flee and cancer loves sugar and that's bad. So I knew that meditation was going to have a physical benefit, could have a physical benefit and that likely it was, if I could get the hang of it would, would help with my stress as well. But what really ended up happening was, I I mean, I've, I've never been a religious person. I felt like there was something, you know, bigger, some bigger energy. Yeah. But I always yeah. just said, nah, I'll find out when I die. You know, I'll find out <laughs> when I get there, whatever it is, who knows. And while I was meditating at some point, I don't know how far in, I just started feeling a connection to something bigger than myself. And that really set me on the path to a belief that when I say everything happens for a reason, I mean, I don't mean that, you know, this is like predestined from the dawn of time for me to get cancer at 28. I just mean that if you can make the choice to look for the positives in any situation, the gifts, the lessons, the silver linings that you will find them. Mm-hmm. And I realized if I can find them in something as big and scary and awful as cancer, then I could find them in anything. And that really changed entirely the way I looked at my recovery and my life after cancer. And it helped me release a lot of the anger and resentment over being diagnosed because I could look at all of the wonderful things I had gained as a result of having to have gone through this. Mm-hmm. And when you start divesting yourself of all of those negative emotions, bitterness and anger and, and fear and yeah, resentment and all of it, you just make more room for the good stuff. And the more you focus on the positive, on what you're grateful for, even if it's something tiny, like, there's a pretty tree outside. I think that's literally the first thing that I like felt grateful for was it was a beautiful day and there were lots of trees bright green. And I was just really grateful to be alive, to see it. And just, yeah, the, the, those tiniest things, if you can just focus on those, the anxieties, the fears, the what ifs, those just start to diminish. Um, Cause you just have less space for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that helped me immensely and, and continues to, because cancer doesn't end when treatment's done. You're not even considered cancer free or until usually the five-year mark. So they call you NED, no evidence of disease, Mm -hmm. but it just means that they can't find, if you look at a scan or anything, you'll be able to see it, but they don't say, okay, you're officially cancer free until yeah, usually five years, depending on the type of cancer. So it's like, so I'm not even there yet. That'll be this summer. But yeah, so it it continues, you have Mm -hmm. ups and downs. And I feel like it's going to continue for the rest of my life. You have periods of time where, you know, you get that blood test back and, Ooh, that number's off. And like, what does that mean? And Ooh, okay. I, I, I feel this pain in my shoulder. Like, 
what does that mean? And so you have these moments of the fear just follows you around always. You just sometimes are more aware of it. And sometimes, well, it sounds like, and you've gotten, you've filled your toolbox with a ton of things to help you counteract that fear. I, you know, one of my very best friends, I don't know how many years out, I want to say eight, maybe years out, you know, so she's, I guess, officially cancer-free, but I know that that fear from, from knowing her, I know that that follows her constantly. I hear, you know, I know the reaction, the trauma that comes up when she gets the tests and there's something funny or whatever. So Uh, it is a life, it's going to be a lifelong journey for you, but it sounds like doing all that really has strengthened your resolve. And when we do look at something bigger than ourselves, it does exactly what you just described. It yeah. gives you that strength it does, and that hope and that yes. courage. Yeah, that's it. It gives you hope that what you're going through right now has a, a purpose other mm-hmm. than just miserable. <laughs> right. Right. You're like, okay, I'm done growing through stuff. I'm done, yeah, I'm, right. I've grown. Just let I'm me grown. Let's just get <laughs> But yeah, uh, but it does. And it, and it, and it helps because the what ifs are what's so scary. Yes. So you think, okay, even if something else really difficult happens in my life, whether it's cancer or something else, mm-hmm. if I could have found so much beauty and positivity and goodness through my cancer diagnosis, then that means I can do that for other stuff. Like, so now it's more a case of like, no matter what life throws at me, like we just have to accept that. Yeah. We're going to have to face stuff in life that we really don't want to face. and It's going to suck, but there are just so many untold possibilities for how that's going to turn out. You have no idea on this side of it, how it could possibly turn out. And that can be scary, but it's also amazing because it may not turn out the way you want, but that means it's also just as likely that it could turn out exactly how you want or even better than you mm-hmm. could imagine. Possibility can be scary, but it's also a really wonderful thing because it means that really amazing things are possible too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I know why you say that one of your favorite quotes is courage over comfort. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Brene Brown, for making that, <laughs> bringing that to the forefront. Yeah. But yeah, you're living it, you're showing it and and you're helping other people through their cancer journeys. So I want you to tell me a little bit about that because I don't, I don't want to lose time on that. That's a really important piece of this. How are you helping other people in their cancer journey? Yeah. So because my reaction to challenges Mm -hmm. out of anxiety, I understand now Mm -hmm. it's an anxious reaction um, is to research and read and learn. And what can I do to help myself? I just Um, learned something about myself. (laughs) Okay. I thought I was done with my anxiety. (laughs) I know it took me, I was doing a podcast with a friend called I'm anxious about. And as we were having our conversation, I was like, oh my God, that was a reaction out of anxiety. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's my reaction, but that's not everyone's reaction. And not everyone has, especially after a cancer diagnosis where your brain is just numb, you, you don't have the energy necessarily to mm-hmm. to do that research or to find out those things just on like on a practical treatment level and then again when you're at the beginning of it and you're in the midst of it you can't see the end point and it just all seems really helpless and hopeless so i knew that 
you know, both how I had come through it mentally and emotionally, I knew that I had done well and I needed to explore how and share that with other people because that there's just nothing more valuable when you're in the thick of an obstacle than seeing someone who's already overcome that same obstacle mm-hmm. and how Agreed. they did it. So I knew I needed to share both the the practical things I had done to heal physically, but then also everything I had done to support myself and heal myself mentally and emotionally as well. And so, yeah, I just started writing. I do substitute teaching when I teach full-time, which isn't that often these days because of that and everything else, but English and drama, of course, but English is my second teachable. I teach high school. So I've always loved writing, always been pretty good at it. So yeah, just started writing and it turned into a blog that I have now a mix of my sort of mental and emotional journey. And then also like informative research-based posts Mm -hmm. about Uh, alternative treatments, like um, all the ones I mentioned, vitamin C IVs and hyperthermia and all of that. And then I also started a Facebook group where I post everything, lots of stuff, my blog posts, but also, um, you know, free events that I hear about that I think will be helpful to people, quick tips about things like sleep and energy, recipes, lots of recipes, Mm -hmm. lots of diet tips. I started recording, I just call it lessons cancer taught me. And I think I, I counted today and I, I have 102 that I'm up to. Wow. Uh, and I'm sure there's more to come. <laughs> uh, they just keep coming. Like I did, I figured at some point it would stop, but they just keep coming. So yeah. I share those um, with people and then, you know, people can ask questions of each other and of me too. So it's making that community, that support making community. That community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just wanted it to be a little bit easier for people c- to find these resources that they have available. And I, I never share anything without also, you know, finding re- credible peer-reviewed research articles mm-hmm. to support the, the what the therapy claims to do. And I find it easy to, to wade through those sort of research articles and that scientific language. And again, that's something a lot of people struggle with. So I kind of do that reading and that research and then regurgitated in hopefully a more digestible way for people. Wonderful. But, yeah. yeah. Just make it easier for people. Make it easier for people yeah. to find stuff. It's not easy. You have to really dedicate a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. to it. And I feel like for, I have skills and gifts that make it a little bit easier for me to do that. And so, yeah, uh, why not do that? And then share with other people. Yeah. So you have an online community and you offer a lot of free resources on your website. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about recipes. You have actually mm. the free anti-cancer diet guide available. Yeah. Yep. So that is pretty cool. Is that for helping to prevent cancer as well? Both. Yeah. Both. Okay. So, yeah. So it's just um, some general guidelines. Diet mm-hmm. is one of those things that's very tricky when it comes to cancer. It depends yeah. on the person. There's not one one size fits all diet for everybody. Um, But there are a number of things that just anyone would benefit from doing. Yeah. For those who are, who either have, have had cancer and want to reduce their risk of recurrence, those who are actively healing from cancer and want to support that process. And then, yeah, those who are just concerned about their cancer risk for whatever reason. And they're all things that will help you avoid other health issues too. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're going to reduce your inflammation. Um, it's going to support your immune system. It's going to support your gut health. Yeah. Cause Good. there's a lot of other things leading up to mm-hmm. cancer that mm-hmm. can happen from not putting the right fuel in your body. Basically. Okay. I mean, yeah. I feel like it's a no brainer. What we put in our body is the fuel that fuels all our cells, yep. that fuels whether we are well or we are Not. sick. 
So, mm-hmm. so that is wonderful. And I'm going to make sure that the link to that is in the show notes, as well as the links to connect with you on your website, social media, all the things. Also, I do just want to mention that you're writing a book right now yes. <laughs> and it's, uh, do you have a title yet? I know it's a teaching memoir. I, I don't. I have a couple of options in mind, but yeah, I haven't settled on one yet. Yeah, it's a teaching memoir. So okay. actually, if you take the two types of blog posts that I write, research-based and personal, and mm-hmm. then combine them, that that's really what it'll be, what it is, is going to be. So yeah, the things that I did to heal that I feel other people can benefit from, but interspersed with my own stories and um, yeah, about my own healing. And I think there's just in everything I do, there's everything I write about all the, the, the vlogs I record, everything has a pretty heavy focus on mental and emotional health, because that's something that really is lacking. It's an area of cancer yeah. support and health and healing that is really lacking because we focus on the physical, obviously, like we want to resolve this physical issue, yeah. but some of the root causes of cancer have their mental roots. Yeah. 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 In, in trauma and unhealed emotional and mental mm-hmm. wounds and supporting those areas are just, yeah, just as important. Super important because there's uh, just a ton of research, whether you want to call it scientific based or not, whatever, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lot of research out there that do put the two together. I mean, my mother also died of pancreatic cancer, not when I was 11, but in my early thirties. And I've done a lot of, well, my mother, my stepmother also died of cancer. So I thankfully haven't had to do the research for myself, but I've done a lot of research for other people in my life. And there's just such a big mind component to it as well. So I'm super happy that you're talking about that. You're adding that in. That's the whole holistic idea before we say goodbye, because time is actually way up, but I just have so many questions. Anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? Specifically, I guess if anybody, it has a new diagnosis of cancers or, or a past diagnosis, I guess someone currently battling or someone that already has, mm-hmm. I think the most important thing that you can do is to trust yourself. And I mean, this is true of life in general, not just cancer, but trusting yourself and that you innately know what is best for you and being, and and then taking action on those things. And that can be really hard and really scary. We like to paralyze ourselves from taking action often because change is scary and Mm -hmm. all sorts of reasons. I've read and listened to a lot of stories from many cancer survivors. And what helped me realize how I had gotten through it so well was hearing so many of them say the most important thing that they did was taking that active role in their health and their healing. And that's what helped me realize that that is what I did unconsciously just because that was my anxious reaction to it, but, um, some silver lining to the anxiety silver linings. Yeah. (laughs) And really that's just true of life in general. You have to take action in your own life. You have to take responsibility for what you want and making your life look the way that you want. And the same is true of your healing. Your healing can, can take the form, whatever form you want it to take, but you have to be willing to look and look deep, um, and find those those areas that you want to heal, that you need to heal. 
and yeah, and then be an active participant in healing them. It's so, so important, not just for, you know, healing disease, but also preventing it too. And I think sticking to those lifestyle changes and things like that after you really have to look at it as you shaping the life that you want. You're doing this as, you know, an act of self-care an act of self-love because you deserve to have the life that you want. And the only way to get it is to, is to go for it and do it yourself. Yeah. Like, like, like you said in that, in that part that you read from application, yeah, no one can do it for you. No one can make the decision for you. Yeah, so exactly. take charge and, and have confidence, have confidence in yourself that you can do it. Yes. Yeah, I was so in, unconfident and indecisive and I did it. So that means anyone can. Now you can conquer anything. Yeah. That's how you feel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. I want everyone listening to feel that way. So very empowering. Yes. Take control of your health in that way. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you, Rebecca. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Our stories may be different, but we all have one thing in common. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate life on this planet, and none of us have it completely figured out. No matter what you're going through in your life, just know that you are never really alone. Come back every Wednesday for more inspiration and connection, and follow me on Instagram at the Dragonfly Mama so we can stay in touch between episodes.